are going to be in, again, the book of Philippians this morning. And I, so I invite you to turn with me to chapter one of Philippians. Chapter one. And we are going to press on, beginning in uh, verse, verse 12 of Philippians chapter one. Paul is instructing the Philippian church and he's, uh, it's interesting, we're going to read this morning that he's doing it from a curious location, um, an, an interesting spot in his life. So would you read with me, beginning in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out For the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. And latter, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Wow. There's a lot there, isn't there? It's curious, however. It's so easy to be distracted, isn't it? It is so easy to be distracted. You know, when, when, even when we're reading the scripture and something strange happens, something out of the ordinary, something unexpected, where do our minds go? They go to that thing right in front of us, right? That thing that is ringing in our ear. <laughs> Thank you to Jim. He is not as rude as you think he is. <laughs> Yeah. Paul writes, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What are his circumstances? We see it in verse 13, right next to next door there. He says, so that my imprisonment, you see, he is writing from prison. And it is interesting that his circumstances seem to be almost a passing thought in light of the much larger sense of his purpose. Now, circumstances are the things that are right in front of us, right? They are right there. And they demand, they demand our attention. Just like a ringing phone demands our attention. Have you ever been to a basketball game? Um, a college game in particular, where, where the fans behind the goal of the opponent, uh, when it comes time for a free throw, what do they do? Hell yeah, it's that business. They're there. What are they trying to do? They're trying to distract because they know it takes a great deal of concentration to be able to sink that ball, even with a free throw. Now, it's interesting, however, when on the PGA Tour and the crowd is around the green and the player is getting ready to putt, what happens? Yeah. And I tell you, if Jim's phone would would ring in that moment, they would throw him off the course, right? It's curious to me that in one game, you can get away with being a complete distraction, acting like a total idiot, right? 
for the sake of distracting the opponent, but in another game, if you dare distract, oh my goodness, you have lots to pay. Paul's circumstances could have been a distraction to him. And I would venture to say that in our lives, our circumstances very often become distractions. I think we can witness even right now things that are going on that get in the way of our much bigger purpose. The immediate issues that are right in front of us very often stand in the way of our pursuit of our purpose. Distraction is the biggest, the very biggest inhibitor in accomplishing our goals. Paul writes that his circumstances, the things right in front of him, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. You see, Paul's purpose is the progress of the gospel. That's where he's focused. We have to ask the question, what is the gospel? If, If somebody stopped you on the street and said, I've heard this word in your church, the gospel, what would you say? What is the gospel? Well, we know it, the word means good news, right? And, and that's, a really, that's a really great cop-out. <laughs> well, it means good news. Well, what's the good news? The good news is this. You can find it in 1 Corinthians 15 there where Paul is very specific in saying this. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins. Boy, that's good news if you ever heard it, right? Jesus took the penalty that belonged to us. He bore the the, the wrath of God, he bore the shame of crucifixion so that we don't have to. That's the good news, but it doesn't end there. The gospel includes the fact that Jesus was buried. That means he's certifiably dead. The Lord of life himself is put in the grave. But on the third day, On the third day, what happens? He arose. Yes, he returned to life. And the scripture says that that is verifiable as well because it wasn't just one or two people. It wasn't just a myth. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people after he was resurrected. It's documentable. And all of that is is part and substance of the gospel. Now, again, this pursuit of the gospel is Paul's purpose. And he viewed his his circumstances being in prison not as a distraction, not as a, a, a difficult thing that he had to simply endure, but rather he saw it as an opportunity the opportunity to advance the gospel. Look with me at verse 13. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. (laughs) Paul's circumstances are what they are. Why? Note it's because of the cause of Christ. He's not in prison because he did something wrong. He's in prison because he did something very right. In fact, in fact, the cause of Christ is why he is there. I see this in in the unfolding of this, the glory of that passage, Romans 8, 28. Many of us know it by heart, that God causes all things to work together together. 
for good. It doesn't just simply say our good. It says for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's the context in which Paul is living right now. He sees that God's great purpose is being worked out even in his circumstance. The cause of Christ. What is the cause of Christ? What would you say it is? What did Jesus say it is? John chapter 10. This beautiful passage in which Jesus unfolds he, he, he reveals himself as the good shepherd. And there in that passage, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and life abundantly. It's not just living and breathing. It's abundant life. That's, that's the, the, the cause of Christ. He wants you. He wants me. He wants all of us to experience abundant life. Now, it's curious to me that that's actually the second half of that verse in John 10. The first half of that verse is the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they might have life, and life more abundantly. You see, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy, the enemy of our souls, is the one who comes to steal. What do you suppose he comes to steal? What? He comes to steal your joy? Yeah, we're off to a good start here. What else? He steals the word? That's, that is part and, uh, of the image of the sower, the parable of the sower, right? I would venture to say that what he comes to steal from us is indeed the abundant life. And it's marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is part of that fruit. What is the rest of that fruit? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah. All of that, the, the enemy desires to steal away from us. So what does that look like? If, if he steals, if he steals my, my love, well, it means that I have perhaps ill feelings, maybe even hatred being stirred up in my heart, and I tolerate it. If, if he steals my joy, what does that mean? It means that I walk around living under this cloud because I feel beset even by my circumstances. If, if he steals if he steals my peace, what does that look like? Anxiety, right? I'm worried about so many things right now. If he steals my patience, what does that look like? We laugh because we're pretty familiar with that one, aren't we? Yeah. Not only does he come to steal, but he comes to kill. What do you suppose he kills? What does he come to kill? The spirit? Okay, he comes to perhaps kill our personal spirit, or rather even the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to snuff it out and to destroy. Destroy what? Destroy our joy, yes. I think in many respects, to steal, to kill, to destroy, it's all about the same thing. It's about destroying the life of God manifest in us. Jesus came to give abundant life. Life and life abundant. And that's what the enemy of our souls desires to, to steal away from us. That's the cause of Christ. 
The cause of Christ is to give abundant life. The enemy desires that it would be wiped away from us. Now, Paul writes here that in the cause of Christ, it has become well known among the Praetorian Guard and everyone else. The cause of Christ has become well known among his captors. Now, who is the Praetorian Guard? Well, it's the guys that are standing right next to him, chained to him, perhaps. And they have to listen to Paul talk to them hour after hour. They have to witness him writing this very letter. That's who's hearing about the cause of Christ, the abundant life, the giving of the gifts of the Spirit or the, the fruit of the Spirit to those who walk with him. Now, that is who is hearing. And it's interesting that news travels fast because he says not only the Praetorian Guard, but everyone else. It's interesting, last night after the service, um, um, one of one of our deacons was talking with me and he was saying, you know, the image that I, I pick up from that passage is this idea that, that uh, the guards are saying, uh, man alive, have you had to sit with this Paul character? He's quite a character. And man alive, the stuff that he's saying, yeah, I know. Well, if you haven't, if you haven't sat, you will sit with him because you're part of this thing and it becomes the buzz of, of this group of guards. And then it becomes the word on the street. Everyone else knows about this. <laughs> and Paul sees it indeed as the cause of Christ advancing. Look at verse 14 with me. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. What? <laughs> because of my imprisonment? It's inter interesting to say that he, he, to note that he says that most of the brethren, not all the brethren, most of the brethren are trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. They have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. I, you know, in, in just honestly, my flesh, I would say, this guy that I've been listening to is imprisoned because of talking about Jesus. What's the, what's the primary response probably going to be? I'm going to shut up, right? I'm not going to talk about Jesus because I don't want to go to prison. And indeed, I think perhaps he acknowledges that some of the believers had that response, but most of them did not. In fact, it was the exact opposite. They gained courage. They gained courage because of Paul's imprisonment. I find that very curious. Why do you suppose it is? I think perhaps because because. They see Paul and they hear even the word on the street. They see Paul speaking about Jesus and the abundant life that he brings even there in prison. And they are thinking, wow, if he can do it, I can do it. I can enter into this conversation when somebody tells me, hey, have you heard about that Paul guy in prison talking about the, the life of Jesus, this abundant living in the middle, middle of the prison to all these guards? Yeah, I heard about it. And I've experienced it. Let me tell you more. And that's the courage that wells up within the community of faith. <laughs> he says not only that, but far more courage. C.S. Lewis says, courage is not simply one, virtue, one of the virtues but the form of every virtue at the testing point. I'm curious, when you think of a list of virtues, what do you think of? What, what comes to mind? 
Come on, speak up. Honesty, Honesty. okay. Honesty is a virtue. Um, Where is honesty tested? Honesty is tested when what the truth is may get you in some hot water, right? That's where honesty is tested. And courage wells up to say, I will be honest in spite of the consequences. I will speak the truth in spite of the fact that there will be opposition to it. He says that they have courage to speak. The reality is that speaking up sometimes is really difficult. But not only that, he says to speak the word of God. To speak the word of God. Now, many of us talk about talk about um, witnessing. And we, we talk about it as though it's something that we, that we will go and do or we aspire to go and do. And the idea of speaking the word of God, well, some of, some of you think, well, that's what preachers do, right? But I would venture to tell you that if you identify yourself as a believer in Jesus, you are a witness whether you like it or not. You're either a good one or a bad one. It's just that simple. And sometimes we have a foot in both camps, don't we? We ride the fence. Um, we talked about patience a little earlier. Where is your patience tested? Somebody last night said, in traffic. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I have, I, I'm just true confession. There was a time when I was loath or, or even uh, just, just completely resistant to the idea of putting a little bumper sticker on my car that identified me as a Christian. You know why? Yeah, you know why. There's accountability on my windshield or on my back window. And, and the reality is, is that, that if we identify as believers, what we say and what we do really matters. Absolutely it matters. And speaking the word of God is not, not just what we say, but it is what we do. Unfolding who God is. That we have to understand that speaking the word of God in what we say and in what we do, all of that, when it is indeed the word of God, must align with the word of God. Paul is, is really, um, I, I, love, uh, I love the fact that he, he deals with the reality that we have choices to make all the time. As believers, he says in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on things that are above, not on the earth below. Set your mind there. As if to say, it's not always there. It's an intentional act. And going on in chapter 3 of Colossians, he says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. All of those things, all of those things are, are that they're the things that we're to avoid. And how do we do that? We do that by setting our minds on things above. And he goes on in verse 8 through 10, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I, it's interesting, he says, do not lie. 
why, why would he say that? Because we lie. Right? Why, why in the world would he say, don't put aside anger? Because we get angry. And why does he say, put away wrath? Another modern word for the word wrath is rage. Put it away from you. He says that because as believers, we are witnesses, whether we like it or not. Either we are, we are displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit or we are displaying the fruit of the flesh. And Paul is saying, make a decision. Make a decision. Put your mind on things above and put aside these things that are not becoming of a believer. Galatians chapter 5, we, we see the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22, we, we read that there, and we've listed them already, right? There they are on the, on the screen for you. And in a little further, just a couple verses later, Paul continues with this. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. That is instruction that If we live by the Spirit, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, if indeed the resurrection life is, is part of your life as a result of giving your life to Christ, then let your life reflect it. How you talk to one another matters. How you treat one another matters. Now, Again, back in chapter 14 of Philippians chapter 1, he says, they have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Without fear. Now, it's important to understand, there is a, there is a healthy fear, right? A healthy fear says, don't go there, that's dangerous. Some of us know to respond to that, some of us don't, right? We have a dog that um, got bit by a rattlesnake years and years ago. She hasn't been bitten since. <laughs> because she knows that there is danger there. And that's a healthy fear. But unhealthy fear is also possible. Many of us have experienced that. Unhealthy fear keeps us from opportunity. It keeps us from walking into things that, that can bring new life to us, that can bring um, God's blessing in our lives. And yet we're f- afraid to, to step out. And in, in many respects, that's what faith is all about. It's stepping out in spite of our fear. Now, how is unhealthy fear conquered? Sometimes it's conquered simply by personal grit. But more often than not, unhealthy fear is conquered by the power of of the body of Christ walking with us. The power of community. I, uh, we were privileged to have dinner with, the other night with um, uh, a young couple in our congregation. And she was, she's a real bubbly personality now and just loves to cook and, and entertain and all of that. I, I was honestly a little bit um, astonished at her story because she said, you know, when I was young, I was shy. I was 
I was so shy, it was, it was painful. I, she had not many friends and, and afraid to do almost anything. And then a friend of hers invited her to join a dance troupe. So she took the step, no pun intended. Um, she, she, she joined this dance troupe, and she said, you know, it was there that I began to discover that I could do things I never thought I could. And her shyness turned into gregarity, gregariousness, that idea of, of being able to boldly be bubbly around other people. Today, you would never know that she struggled with shyness. It was the power of community, of, of, of doing steps in unison and then in harmony with others, fitting together well. It was in that context that she was able to step beyond her fear. And that, re, that is this, true for all of us. We need each other. We need each other to step forward in faith. How do we do that apart from honest connection with one another? Being able to, to, to step into a place that we've never been before. That is, that is part of the gift of the body of Christ. Now, Paul's imprisonment stirred up courage, courage to speak, to speak the word of God because he saw it as an opportunity. The fruits of our proclaiming the gospel are not only in the winning of, of souls or, or inviting people to come to Jesus personally, but the fruit of our readiness to share the gospel also includes our life together because we get to encourage one another to do that. Um, that, that, is, that is part of walking together. And there's great benefit in that. Benefit not simply for us, but for our community, for one another. Let's go on, verse 15. Some, to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Do you find that kind of strange? That there are different motivations at work for preaching Christ? Again, how do we preach Christ? It is our witness, right? It is both in what we say and in what we do. And whether we like it or not, if we're Christians, your life is a testimony. You're a preacher. Every single one in this room who has identified as a believer in Jesus, your life is proclaiming something. Now, why do we preach Christ? Though that is, Paul is talking about motivation. Some are motivated out of genuine love and desire to see others believe. Others are motivated simply out of their own their own personal excitement for what Christ has done in their life. Have you ever met somebody like that? Perhaps a new believer, perhaps an old believer, who, who sees a miracle happen right in front of them? Bob, I'm going to embarrass you right now. Is that okay? My dear friend Bob is building grandfather clocks for his his children, seven of them. Whoa, big task, right? That he set on that task before he moved to Arizona, and that was in 2004. 
quite a while ago, 15 years ago. He set upon that task, and he's been busy with other things and finally has gotten to that task. But it's interesting. He started out with a plan to build five for his five daughters. <laughs> but now he has two sons-in-law. And so he's going to join them into that. He's going to build seven clocks. But in the process of doing that, he had bought all of what he needed. But in the process of, of, of moving and everything, he didn't bring everything. There were some things that got misplaced. Fifteen years later, he, he is noticing, boy, I'm missing some important stuff here. And, and he just kind of asked the Lord, Lord, would you help me find that, please? It's not only important, it's expensive. Can you help me find those clockworks? The next day, he got a call out of the blue from, from his, his nephew who bought his business back in Denver. This woodworking business that's pretty large, right, honestly. He got a call from his nephew out of the blue. And guess what he said? We found some clockworks in the shop. Do you have any idea who they belong to? Yes, wow is right. Wow is right. And that's exactly Bob's, Bob's reaction. That God Almighty would hear that, even that kind of a prayer. Lord, help me find my stuff. And out of the blue, the Lord is at work and he provides. And just like that, that kind of miracle is at work. Some of us are just plain excited about what God is doing, and it's infectious, right? That's one of the reasons we preach Christ. But it's interesting that Paul also identifies the fact that some preach Christ for ulterior motives. Really? Are you serious, Paul? Some preach Christ even from envy and strife? Envy and strife? Yeah, some people enter into, uh, into a relationship with God kind of haphazardly with ulterior motives at the beginning. How many men in this room came to Christ because they were pursuing a young girl who happened to be going to church and you followed her there? Yeah, ulterior motives, personal gain. Friendship, fitting in, opportunity, opportunity for self-advancement. It's interesting that Paul identifies strife. Strife means that we, we aren't getting along. And preaching Christ with the motive of strife is, um, is unbecoming, clearly unbecoming. He says that some of, um, some of them are thinking to even cause me distress while I'm in prison by preaching Christ. And I have to say, we see these motivations at work even today. Even today, same stuff going on back then is going on now. But I have to ask, in light of that, do motivations matter? I see a number of heads kind of nodding. Is this a trick question? <laughs> yes, it is. Because according to the Apostle Paul, motivation doesn't matter. What does he say? What do you see? <laughs> he says, what then? What then? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. It doesn't matter to me how Christ is preached or why. The fact is that Christ is is being preached and the gospel is advancing. And that's the most important thing. I love what he says. Verse 19, for I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now, even now, even now in these crazy, difficult, raunchy circumstances, that even now, as always, that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Wow. That Christ would be exalted even in these awful circumstances. That's really kind of the root of Paul's purpose as well, isn't it? It's not just the advancement of the gospel. It is that Christ would be exalted. I have to ask the question, what is our purpose? What is our purpose as a church? I think it really needs to be, if it is not, it needs to be to exalt Christ. The word exalt means to enlarge or better yet magnify. And when you magnify something, what, what, what happens? Do you make the thing bigger? No, you make it so people can see more clearly. We can't make Jesus bigger, right? But we can help people see Jesus more clearly. The details of our lives bearing witness of the fact that he has changed us. He has changed us from the inside out. So to exalt Christ is the main thing. And everything else is a distraction. I think we need to have a heart-to-heart. As a church body, we need to understand that the enemy of our souls seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the ways he does that is by distracting, distracting us from the very purpose that we are called to as a church. We have to ask ourselves, is what I'm saying and is what I'm doing exalting Jesus? To make anything else, anything other than exalting Christ, our primary concern is idolatry. Yeah, that's a harsh word. But to make a symbol, to make our church affiliation, to make historical precedent, even to make our personal offense the primary thing is idolatry. I have to confess to you that I've spent way too much time way too much time trying to correct misinformation, attempting to address accusations based on presumption and untruth and confronting rumor with fact to defend the truth. I've spent way too much time doing that stuff. And it's all distraction. Our fellowship has been burdened 
with rumor, mistrust, misfortune, misbehavior, dissension, all of which is a distraction attempting to steal our attention from our mission as individuals and as a church body, and that is to exalt Jesus. I, and I have, this comes with an apology for those of you who are new to our fellowship. You haven't walked with us through some really tough waters. Past, past what, eight, nine months have been filled with difficulty for us as a church. And unfortunately, our, our eyes have been too easily drawn to our circumstance. And yes, it's right in front of us. How can we, how can we not deal with what's right in front of us? By putting our hands down and lifting our eyes to Jesus. We have to keep the main thing, the main thing. We have to keep the exaltation of Jesus Christ at the center of who we are together and even apart. Paul exclaims again at the very end of of verse 18, he says, and I will rejoice. I rejoice and I will rejoice for I know that this, his circumstances, his awful circumstances will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, even now in the middle of this mess, even now that Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. You need to understand that the words in my body basically means, he says, within me, within my person, who he is, what he thinks, what he says, what he does. Whether by life or by death, his eyes are on the prize. And that prize is Christ, and Christ exalted no distractions. In John 12 The apostle writes that Jesus says, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. The exaltation of Jesus brings salvation to all. That's what he is saying. And as Jesus is lifted up among us, He will draw people to himself. He will do it as he is exalted. Let's not uh, allow ourselves to be distracted by that purpose. Lifting up Jesus so that he will draw others to himself. That's the progress of the gospel. That's the cause of Christ. The words in context... These words, I will draw all men to myself if I be lifted up, have this context in John chapter 12. I'd like to ask the worship team to come and as we prepare for communion, there in chapter 12, Jesus speaks of his impending death. And he says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. When a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And so the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. And others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake but for your sake. Now judgment has come upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. 
And then the apostle adds these words, but he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Salvation is tied to Jesus' death. It is his sacrifice on our behalf. We must not allow ourselves to be distracted from the purpose of exalting Jesus. That's our mission. That is the promotion of the gospel. That is the cause of Christ. And anything that distracts from that mission is the enemy's ploy to steal and kill and destroy. Again, the gospel is this, that Christ died for our sins according to to the scriptures. That he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. Today, we've prepared communion. I'll invite the ushers to come at this time. And we've prepared communion because the Lord instituted this as something we should do often to remember him. It speaks of his death. He shared it with his disciples there in the upper room. It's become known as the Last Supper. And there we see that Jesus was very clear in saying, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for the remission of your sins. I know that the Lord delights in the fact that we would remember him in this way. So I invite you to partake. Notice that if, if you are a believer here this morning, you are welcome to partake. Take both cups. There are two cups stacked on one, one stacked upon the other. Take both, and we'll, we'll partake together a little later.
thank you this morning for this that represents your life, your life that you came and gave freely so that we might have life abundant. We thank you that on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it. And you said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat, all of you, and do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you this morning as we partake together. Lord Jesus, we, re we thank you as well that after supper, you took the cup the cup of redemption. And you said, this is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the remission, the washing away, the canceling out of your sin. Take and drink, all of you, as often as you do it, in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you this morning as we partake together. How blessed we are, Lord Jesus, to know that the sacrifice that you made on our behalf is the beginning point of a brand new life for us. We thank you as well that, that it didn't end for you at the cross. Rather, though you were buried certifiably dead. You rose again on the third day, and in that, Lord Jesus, we rejoice because, as the Scripture says, the very same power that raised you from the dead is the power that you desire to give us. And Lord, that is the power of the resurrection. How we need your power to be displayed among us. We pray, Lord, that you would find pleasure in displaying yourself in our lives as individuals and surely in our life together. That your life, that your character, the fruit of your spirit, 
would be the fruit of our life together. How we love you, Lord. If there's anyone here this morning that is not quite clear what what we've been talking about in terms of the life that Jesus desires to give, that abundant life, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus, I invite you to do that today because abundance is truly what he desires to deliver. There'll be people waiting to pray with you up up front as as, uh, we are dismissed. Don't neglect the opportunity to do that. If you desire prayer for any other reason, again, feel free to come forward and receive that. This is the Lord's work. Now may he bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That means means smile on you, to give you his favor. May he give you his perfect, undeniable, absolute, perfect peace. That's a peace that emanates in every area of our life. That's his desire and his blessing on us today, even as we go. God bless you.